You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. sustains a third-party breach, a phishing campaign hits Ukrainian inboxes, the enduring riddle of why Russian cyber-offensive cyber operations have failed in Ukraine, Joe Kerrigan on credit card skimming, Carol Terrio describes a UK food store chain that uses facial recognition technology to track those with criminal or antisocial behavior, and 2023's ransomware-as-a-service leaderboard. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, December 13th, 2022. Bleeping computer reports that Uber has sustained a breach. Over the weekend, a group styling itself UberLeaks began dumping data it claimed to have stolen from Uber and Uber Eats. The data dumped online include what the attackers say is source code for mobile device management platforms and for third-party vendor services the company uses. Bleeping Computer says the threat actor created four separate topics, allegedly for UberMDM at uberhub.uberinternal.com, and Uber Eats MDM, and the third-party Techtivity MDM, and TripActions MDM platforms. The data compromised include corporate and employee data, but not customer information, Uber believes. This incident apparently originated in the compromise of a third-party vendor, and there's some evidence of lapsus gang activity. Uber told Bleeping Computer, We believe these files are related to an incident at a third-party vendor and are unrelated to our security incident in September. Based on our initial review of the information available, the code is not owned by Uber. However, we are continuing to look into the matter. The third-party vendor seems to have been Techtivity, which says in its own statement, We are aware of customer data that was compromised due to unauthorized access to our systems by a malicious third-party, The third party was able to gain access to our Techtivity AWS backup server that housed Techtivity code and data files related to Techtivity customers. One safe bet is that Uber employees should prepare themselves to withstand a wave of phishing and other social engineering approaches that can be expected to make use of the data the attackers have dumped online. The State Service for Special Communications and Information Protection of Ukraine warned citizens to be alert for a phishing campaign. The phishing email misrepresents itself as being from the State Emergency Service of Ukraine. 
The fish bait in the subject line is how to recognize a kamikaze drone, which shows an attempt to trade upon recent widespread fears of Russian drone attacks. The malicious payload is Dolphin Cape, whose main function is to collect information about the computer. This isn't the first phishing campaign to impersonate Ukrainian government agencies. Earlier efforts in October and November spoofed the state special communications, the press service of the general staff of the armed forces of Ukraine, the security service of Ukraine, and even CERT-UA. There's no specific attribution in the warning, but circumstantially, the Dolphin Cape campaign looks like a Russian operation— It serves Russian interests, and it's coordinated in at least a general way with a principal kinetic effort in Russia's war, indiscriminate drone attacks against civilian infrastructure. The record reports that the targets of the campaign are government agencies and rail transportation. A study published by the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace titled Cyber Operations in Ukraine, Russia's Unmet Expectations, offers the beginning of an answer to one of the most discussed questions about Russia's war against Ukraine. Why have Russian cyber operations fallen so short of pre-war Western expectations? The author argues that Western and Russian cyber doctrine are incommensurable. Russian doctrine avoids equivalence of the term cyber, preferring to use the terms information confrontation or information warfare whereas U.S. discussions of cyber operations normally concentrate on the technical integrity of networks. Russian doctrine considers a range of operations, both technical and psychological, code and content, that can be deployed against adversarial systems and decision-making. The essay offers three hypotheses to explain Russian failure in cyberspace. The infancy and putative focus of the VIO— the preponderance of cyber talent in the Russian national security ecosystem, and the pivotal nature of the initial period of the war. The common theme among the three hypotheses is Russia's unreadiness for the hybrid war it decided to wage. Searchlight Security has published a report outlining the three most notorious ransomware groups of 2022, Lockbit, Conti, and Black Cat. All three of these ransomware strains operate under a ransomware-as-a-service model, or in the case of Conti, if we really believe they've held their going-out-of-business sale, they operated in the past tense. Conti was the most prolific gang until it announced it was shuttering its operations back in June of this year. But this is probably more of a brand retirement than an operator retirement, still less an operator reform. Conti's hoods are, in all likelihood, still actively working for other groups. The researchers note that it's strongly suspected that group members joined other ransomware-as-a-service operations, such as Black Basta and Black Bite, or refocused their efforts into groups thought to be subsidiaries of the primary Conti operation, such as Karakurt. Crime abhors a vacuum at least as much as nature does, and Lockbit partially filled the void left by Conti's closure— and that group now accounts for one-third of all ransomware attacks observed by Searchlight. Lockbit operators are known for their dual extortion tactics, offering victims options for how to deal with the stolen data. Coming in third is Black Cat, also known as Alfie or Noberis. They also use double extortion attacks, placing their victims' data into a database that's accessible by cyber criminals. So what's up going forward? Searchlight looks at Gangland's up-and-comers, 
highlighting the Vice Society, Avoslocker, and Hive. These ransomware gangs are, they think, the threats to watch going into the next year. Vice Society is a dual extortion racket that targets the education sector. Avoslocker and Hive are ransomware-as-a-service offerings, with Hive being designed to be easily operated by inexperienced actors. So, they are to criminal coding what TV dinners are to cuisine. Yum. Coming up after the break, Joe Kerrigan looks at credit card skimming. Carol Terrio describes a UK food store chain that uses facial recognition technology to track those with criminal or antisocial behavior. Stay with us. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com slash cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using Identity Orchestration, Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. Our UK correspondent, Carol Terrio, has been looking at a UK food store chain that's using facial recognition technology to track customers with criminal or antisocial behavior. She files this report. So, dear listeners, many of you based in the US of A, what do you make of this little privacy kerfuffle in the UK? So it involves a supermarket chain in the south of England called the Co-op. 
Um, I have one near my house. And it's where I go to pick up last-minute items like juice, milk, or eggs, or even be old school and get a paper. And the problem seems to be, according to the BBC, is that the co-op is using a facial identification system called FaceWatch. Now, FaceWatch is not like Clearview, where it scans every single face that comes in and checks it against a huge database scraped from several online sites and social networks to identify anybody that walks into the food store. Nor is it taking snaps and comparing these against those convicted of crimes, like, say, burglary or robbery. No, this one's a little different. The co-op's face watch system is matching people against a list of people the co-op says has stolen from its shops or been violent. A spokesperson told the BBC that the list was of people for which the business had evidence of criminal or antisocial behavior. Now, Big Brother Watch, a UK-based privacy campaign group, has challenged the legality of the system in a submission to the Information Commissioner's Office, the ICO. Big Brother Watch says the biometric scans are, quote, Orwellian in the extreme. Quote, the supermarket is adding customers to secret watch lists with no due process, meaning shoppers can be spied on, blacklisted across multiple stores, and denied food shopping, despite being entirely innocent. This is a deeply unethical and, frankly, chilling way for any business to behave. Now, I'm a bit of a privacy buff. I've been talking about privacy for more than 20 years. But I'm not sure I personally would use the terms deeply unethical or chilling here. I get that these co-op food stores are open late. Many don't have a strong security presence, if any at all. And some have only one or two shopkeepers working the whole store. And this makes them vulnerable to gangs looking to rob or people wanting to cause trouble. And this trouble I'm talking about is actually a growing problem. A House of Commons report published in June 2021 opens with this statement. Quote, the last five years has seen a shocking rise in attacks on retail workers. The Association of Convenience Stores, ACS, found that 89% of individuals working in local shops had experienced some sort of abuse. 89%, that's like 9 out of 10. So I get that staff and companies need to increase security to deter a growing threat. But perhaps this face watch system is not the best approach. I think I'd much prefer staff to carry real-time cameras on lanyards. And then if a customer is acting inappropriately, rudely, or criminally, the staff can turn on said camera and record the behavior. And this recording should only be shared with the authorities, you know, the people trained to serve and protect the people of the nation. But maybe that's just me. What do you think? This was Carol Terrio for The Cyberwire. And joining me once again is Joe Kerrigan. He is from Harbor Labs and the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute, and also my co-host over on the Hacking Humans podcast. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. Uh, interesting article from the folks over at uh, Naked Security by Sophos. This is actually written by Paul Ducklin, uh, and it's titled Credit Card Skimming, The Long and Winding Road of Supply Chain Failure. It's an interesting uh, thing going on here. Can you explain it to us, Joe? This is an interesting thing going on. So here's Paul lays this out pretty well and summarizes it, but you can actually go and read the entire report uh, from a company called J Scrambler, who did the actual research on this. 
but Paul's summary is is great. Um, so the high level version is this: that back in the early 2010s, there was a company called Cockpit uh, that offered free web marketing analytics services. Okay. Okay. Interesting that that the company would offer free web marketing and, and analytic services. Those seem like things that should cost money. So immediately I'm thinking, okay, they're just going to collect my data and data on my customers. And that's going to be probably not good. But a lot of companies, e-commerce sites, uh, said, okay, let's use this. And the way they used it was they started sourcing JavaScript code from cockpit servers. Now, what does that mean? Well, in when you're developing a web page, you can put JavaScript on the web page to make the code or to make the page an active page like, and, and have it interact with the user. But you don't have to serve that JavaScript out yourself. You can just push it out from or pull, have the web browser, have the, the, the user's web browser pull it from another location. It doesn't have to come. And if you look at just about every web page, they all do this. And it, it's uh, Google Analytics has uh, links that you can put in to 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 get Google Analytics on your site as well. A lot of a lot of different sites offer this. Uh, and what these companies are doing is they're collecting vast amount of user data and the behavior data from your from your customers and your users of your website. So in 2014, Cockpit actually shuts down its service. They notified everybody that was using the service that they were going offline and any JavaScript code that was imported from Cockpit would stop working. And that happened. It, they just they turned their servers off and went away. Now, the interesting thing is that when you do that, it's not really obvious to the user or even to the, uh, to the administrator that the code isn't coming in anymore. Uh, unless you go in and proactively check your logs or test, test pages with some kind of test suite, uh, you're not going to see that. Chances are the users don't even notice it. The web browser goes, okay, this is a dead link. I'm not going to try pulling this file down. We'll just continue on and see if the page loads and everything works. And lo and behold, it will work uh, because all you're doing is collecting analytic information and reporting that back up to uh, to the servers, which are now shut down. Anyway, in 2021, cyber criminals bought Cockpit's old expired domain. And I like what Paul says here. He says, do what we can only assume was a mixture of surprise and delight. <laughs> they, were, they were able to, uh, to get this, to, to buy this domain, and they found out that at least 40 e-commerce sites hadn't updated their web pages to remove any links to Cockpit. And they were still calling home and accepting any JavaScript code that was on offer. So this is uh, after almost eight years of of, uh, of inactivity, these sites are still looking for this code and these bad guys go out and buy the server that supplies the code. Well, that's bad news because now these servers can start supplying all kinds of code and that's exactly what they did. Uh, they inscripted, or inserted rather JavaScript code that would monitor the content of input fields uh, on predetermined web pages. So they, they knew who was calling in they could see the uh, where the request was coming from because there's a, a field in, uh, in an HTTP request called the refer field, so they know exactly where it's coming from. Then all they have to do is go in and look at the look at the uh, the website, see what that website looks like, reverse engineer it, which is very easy to do for any website because in order for the web to work, you have to have all of the actual code on your computer. So you have to go out and download all that code from whatever sources uh, it's it served from. So 
not only that, but once they've reverse engineered it, they can tailor JavaScript attacks for each of these websites, each of these 40 websites, to collect information specific to the forms on those pages. And again, they use that refer field to know which piece of JavaScript to serve out to which end user. Because uh, the end user is just going out to their servers, these cock- old cockpit servers. And they're actually not old cockpit servers. They're just old cockpit domain names uh, and asking for the, the files. And they're having all their information stolen. And they're actually even getting tricked with HTML injection because one of the things you can do with, with JavaScript is inject additional HTML that makes it look like you need to log in again. So now I can capture your username and your password for that website. And it's coming from that website. It looks exactly like it's coming from that website. Mm-hmm. They have opened the door and in it, they, I guess they've inadvertently left the door open. Yes, exactly. That's what it is. They opened the door for a, a site that, you know, they, they've produced trusted content or, yeah. or received what they thought was, tr- was trusted content from a vendor that they maybe trusted uh, or did trust. But now that vendor's gone. They don't even exist anymore. Those mm-hmm. people have moved on to new jobs. Right, right. So what what's to be done here? Is this a matter of having regularly auditing your website to make sure that something like this isn't lingering around? That that is one of the things you should be doing. Yeah, check logs to see if your website makes use of embedded HTTP links that are no, no longer working. I don't know if your logs will show that um, unless you're testing the sites because your your web server just serves out a line of text that says you know include this script from this file and that's the end of it. The the user's machine goes out and makes the request to the what was the cockpit server in this case, uh, but. Maybe, maybe you have something else going on behind the scenes that I'm not privy to. I don't know. But check your logs. Uh, perform t- transaction tests regularly. That's, that's a good thing that Duck says to do here. Uh, and review, this is the most important, review your web-based supply chain links. Really understand what you're doing when you rely on URLs that are provided by other people. That is uh, paramount. And there should be some part of your configuration management process that, that says, these are the, uh, the libraries we're using. These are the third-party uh, JavaScript libraries or JavaScript functions that we're, that we're including in our web page, and here's why we include them. Uh, and periodically, you should be looking at those, those libraries and those features and seeing, do we still trust these guys? Have these guys changed? Because, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe it's just because I'm, I'm, I'm really suspicious of people. But when somebody shows up and says, hey, we're going to give you free web marketing or marketing and, and user data, all you have to do is include our JavaScript link. The first thing that goes to my mind is, mm, first off, no, <laughs> I, I don't want to do that. Because what are you doing with that data? What, what am I giving you access to? Um, yeah. and, and how are you going to impact my customers? That's right. really... Uh, what it is. Because in the end, my my goal as an e-commerce business is to sell things to my customers. And the last thing in the world I want to do is hurt my customer. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, the article again comes uh, from the Naked Security blog uh, from Sophos, written by Paul Ducklin. It's titled, Credit Card Skimming, The Long and Winding Road of Supply Chain Failure. Joe Kerrigan, thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure, Dave. The Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. The Cyberwire podcast is a production of N2K Networks, proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Trey Hester, Brandon Karp, Eliana White, 
Aparu Prakash, Liz Irvin, Rachel Gelfand, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Maria Vermatsis, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Millie Lardy, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Catherine Murphy, Janine Daly, Jim Hoshite, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, Simone Petrella, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Tomorrow.